So uh, the last time I preached, I talked about overcoming disappointment, and I talked about how disappointment can actually disappoint you from what God has for you in your life. And so everybody faces disappointment. It's, it's going to happen in life where something didn't work out the way you thought it was going to work out. And I talked about how overly, uh, you got to, basically, you've got to let the word of God be higher than all of your experiences and all of your circumstances and trust the Lord that he'll bring it about the fruit in due time of whatever you're believing him for. And so maybe you wanted your, a family member to be saved 20 years ago, but it doesn't mean that they're not going to get saved. And so you just, you keep believing that the word of God says, you shall be saved, you and your whole household. And you believe the word that says, the seed of the righteous shall be delivered. So you have children that don't know the Lord or if they're prodigal sons or daughter, you believe is like, Lord, you said the seed of the righteous shall be delivered. That's your promise. And you hold the, and you hold the Lord to that. He has, no ish, he has no problem with you holding him to his word because he's going to complete it. I want us to look in Judges chapter 6, and this is overcoming disappointment, part 2. And we're going to look at the life of Gideon. I've, I've preached on Gideon many times before, and, uh, but it's, it's a great story. I felt like the Lord showed me a few different things this time around. And so we're going to start in verse 1. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. Now, in the book of Judges, this is after Joshua had brought the Israelites into the, the promised land, the land of Canaan. And they, their responsibility was to drive out the people of the land and take, take possession of the land. But they didn't fully do that. And so you still have these, the Midianites, Amorites, all these ites still living in the land that they're having to deal with. And during the book of Judges, Israel is turning away from the Lord and they're worshiping these other gods and these other idols that these different people worship. And so what the Lord would do is they would allow, God would allow Israel's enemies to subdue them, to bring them to repentance. And when they would repent, God would raise up a deliverer to deliver them from their enemies. And so uh, you have Deborah and Barak, and then you have Gideon as one of the deliverers that is, is mentioned here. Samson was another one. <clears throat> and so it says, the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. And so there's, <clears throat> I tell people, Judgment isn't as much God punishing you as him uh, lifting, as you coming out from under his protection. So when you, uh, imagine you as a child, you're safe in your parents' home, you got food, you got clothes, you got shelter, hopefully, you know, good home, you got love from your parents. <clears throat> then one day you decide you're going to run away from home. And then you're out on your own. You don't have any clothes. You don't, you don't, have, any, you don't have any money. You, can't buy, you just got what's on your back or whatever you took with you out of your room. I remember my, my middle brother, Jason, exposed him a little bit. And we were, uh, I was like six years old. Jason was four years older than me. I was 10 years old. We lived in Winterville. And my parents, the house we lived in, there was a big window right in front of the kitchen sink. And my parents were making my brother do something that he didn't want to do. And, or just, he was just having a hard day, man. I, lo I love Jason. He was just having a hard day. And I remember it was at night, and Jason just got so fresh. He's like, I'm running away from home. I'm going. And my mom just kept washing dishes. She's like, okay, we'll see you later. <laughs> and I remember he was standing out in front of, he was like looking up at my mom through the kitchen. He's like, I'm leaving. I'm leaving. He came back in like 10 minutes, you know, so it's, 
And I remember I was like, Jason's really going to run away? I don't think so. And so he didn't. He came back, realized he didn't have anything. But that's a lot like when we disobey the Lord, we remove ourselves from his house. What did the prodigal son do? He removed himself from his father's house. What happened? Hard times. Now, I'm not saying hard times is always a result of you not being in the father's house, not being in, under the Lord and in alignment with him. Because there's trials and persecutions that Jesus said would happen when you, when you stand up and when you call upon his name and, and identify with him. So there's different things, and that's why we have to listen to the Holy Spirit. Because sometimes there's, there's trials that come with following Jesus, and then there's trials that we decide that we want to walk in. <laughs> and that usually that comes through disobedience. And so when we, when we disobey the Lord, um, he can, it, the, we come out from under his protection. Verse 2 says, that The hand of Midian overpowered Israel, and because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. So disobedience can actually cause you to lose courage because dis disobedience is not merely disobedience. It's actually coming into agreement with fear. So disobedience feeds fear. And so what happens when, you, when we kind of get in this, if we get in the habit of, of disobeying the Lord, we feel a nudge from the Lord and we disobey, what happens is the thing that that giant that God's maybe asking us to confront keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Maybe, maybe that giant is, hey, tell that person Jesus loves him or you share the gospel or you pray for somebody. And the, more you, the less you do it, the more it gets bigger and bigger. It's like, whoa, I got to pray for that person. And then when you, but when you do obey, that, th that giant gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And you're just like, I, I pray for somebody. If they don't want me to pray, who cares? That becomes your attitude because that thing is very small. That giant's like this, praying for somebody is this big. Or trusting the Lord with your finances becomes this big. When you, take, when you start taking these obedient steps, your giant becomes smaller and smaller and smaller to where all, he just sounds like a mouse in your ear. It's like, hey, wee, 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 instead of a big booming voice. So disobedience feeds fear. And this is what was happening that word brought very low means become small. So they were becoming small in the eyes of Midian. And this wasn't just uh, because Midian, what, the Midianites, what they would do during harvest time for the Israelites, the Midianites were like this marauding band of nomads and they would just sweep in. They were like warriors on camels and they would sweep in during harvest time, take all the harvest, take all provision, and just kind of, and it says that they were like locusts. And so that's what, you know, when locusts come in, they just strip the land bare. And that's what the Midianites were doing. And so uh, they, but the Israelites became small. In Numbers 13, 33, this is, this happened before. This was when uh, the, the spot, the 12 spies went into the land to spy it out. And they, 10 of them came back saying, they got giants there. I don't know if y'all knew that or not. The land's really good, but they got giants there, and we're like grasshoppers in their sight. Verses 8 through 10 says, The Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel, and he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to, the, and I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. God told them not to fear, but they disobeyed. And so there's, it's not just, um, you know, Christianity is not about being safe. It's not about being safe. I'm, I'm speaking to uh, High Shoals Elementary, FCA. Ooh, yeah, that's, that's a tough crowd. You know, if you ever, I don't know if you've ever preached in front of kids, but you're like, are, are you even listening to me? Okay, I'm just going to keep talking. So anyways, 
I've thought about what I wanted to say to them, and I, the main thing I want them to know is that Christianity takes courage. That this isn't, <clears throat> that there's going to be confrontation. And my high school basketball coach, Coach Rosine, who's up with the Lord now, he said, hey, I remember, he says, Trav, he's from California, he says, great players make great mistakes. Great players make great mistakes. Trav, take it easy. Don't be so hard on yourself because I was very hard on myself. He's like, relax. He says, Trav, relax. And so he's, he's always said, great players make great mistakes. Travis, Michael Jordan missed more game-winning shots than he ever made. But he had the courage to take the shot. And that's what I want to tell these kids. I want to tell them, you got to, get, you got to have, courage, have the courage to stand up for what's right. Have the courage to share the gospel with your friends. It's not too young. They're not too young to share the gospel. And they're quickly coming into the world. I mean, even Josiah told me, he's like, Dad, a lot of kids say the F word at school. And I was like, and he said, even this kid. I was like, that kid's a nice kid. He says the F word. He's like, yeah, he says it all the time. I'm like, what? Not Mayberry anymore. And so even for me, you know, I was, we didn't do quite as much of that when I was young. So verses 11 through 13, it says, The angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Oprah. That's where Oprah got her name. And which belonged to Joash, the Abizrite. <clears throat> Y'all got to pardon me if I sound like a... Say who? <laughs> I don't know who I sound like. I got phlegm in my throat. Whoever sounds like that. So while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press to hide it from the Midianites... And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And I always imagine that angel saying, He's just looking at him, he's just kind of, he's, got, he's like, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. And Gideon says to him, Please, my Lord. And then, and then Gideon's like this, If you're with us, where the, then why has all this happened to us? Why do the Midianites steal everything? And where are all. His wonderful deeds to our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. Now, this is where I want to talk about disappointment. Here, you know, we, we hear about revival. We hear about our things going on in the earth, in the Christian community, in the body of Christ, where, you know, you, you hear David Hogan and, and his ministry in Mexico, all his pastors and him included, they've all raised over 500 people from the dead. Well, when you think about that, you don't really want to be in that situation where you got all these dead people around that got to be raised, right? So you're like, wow, is he raised? Well, they're out in the bush in the middle of nowhere. They don't have any other option. And not everybody gets raised from the dead, but it's increasing the, the percentage of people who do. Or you hear people, uh, being healed of terminal illness, and maybe you prayed for a loved one with a terminal illness, and they didn't get healed. And so you start to accept something that's not in the Word of God. God doesn't heal all the time. And if it look, and I'm telling you, perfect theology looks like Jesus. Everyone that came to Jesus got healed. And there is mystery. I mean, I had an aunt that died from cancer that we prayed for. I don't know why she didn't get healed from the cancer. But I, I do know there's lepers, people that didn't have limbs, a man with a withered hand hit his hand, and, and in the middle of all the Pharisees in the synagogue, Jesus said, extend your hand, and it was on the Sabbath, no less, than this, when he extended his hand, it was a whole healthy hand. So... I just, my life, if, I, if my life is based on my circumstances, guess what? I'm going to be like on the screen machine at Six Flags. Or I'm going to be on a roller coaster. Whoa, it's hot. Oh, yeah, that worked. That didn't. Uh, you know, no. The highway of God, the highway of holiness, it says every mountain laid low, every valley lifted high. So it's this state, it's this stability that you have. You're, you become like Jesus. You become like a rock. 
That's what it means to be conformed to the image of Christ. Jesus did not waver. He wasn't, when the devil tried to poke him, he's like, You'll, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the earth. Jesus stood on the, on the word. He said, no, you don't. That's for my father to decide. He's like, well, what about this? What about that? Jesus came back with, with the word of God. So the angel, so the angel carrying the message of the father calls out to who Gideon really is. And this is important. This is what the Lord will do in the midst of disappointment for you. He says, you're a valiant warrior while you're in fear. He'll call you out. While you're cowering in fear, the Lord will say, you're a valiant warrior. This isn't what you're supposed to be doing because this isn't who you are. So Gideon is dealing with disappointment. He's saying, where are the miracles? Where are the the stories our fathers used to tell? But Gideon believed his disappointment more than God's word, and then the Lord was gracious to start convincing him otherwise, which is what we're going to get into. So verses 14 through 16, it says, The Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? How many of you have ever been in that place? You're like, how can I do this? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. So he's saying, our clan is the weakest in our tribe, and then our family is the weakest in our clan. And I'm the weakest in my family. I am bottom man on the totem pole, and you're choosing me. And the Lord's answer is not like, he doesn't say, you're right, Gideon. No, no, you're the, no, Gideon, you're really the strongest. No, you, you, you got it all wrong. You're really the strongest. Your family's really the best. No, he says, no, nah, I'll be with you. The Lord doesn't try to build up your flesh. He, he tries to build up who Jesus is in, in you. <laughs> He's not going to build up your flesh. He's going to build up, but, but you have Jesus. Jesus is in you. Nothing's impossible for Jesus. And he says, I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. This, what he's telling Gideon, he says, the whole army of Midian, which is 100, was 135,000, it's going to be like you're fighting one man. They're going to be like one man. So God tells us, go forth in your weakness because he's with you. That's what he's telling Gideon, go in this might that you have. What was his might? Very little. Very weak. But the Lord's saying, that's what surrender is. I always envision surrender going into this this battlefield and you're butt naked. You ain't got nothing. And you're just like, here I am. Lord's got, if the Lord doesn't show up, the Lord's got to show up <laughs> or else I'm toast. That's what the battlefield looks like for the, for the Christian because he's, he's, the, he's the warrior king. And we get to participate with him. Anytime we are overcomers, anytime we're victors, it's because of Jesus in us. He's doing his stuff in us. That's his victory. Amen. So what God promises us is his presence. God's promise is his presence. It's the number one promise in the Bible. I will be with you. 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 One of the things I, I, de, I declare over myself, you know, for, for 2019, I've decided to try to, a laser approach rather than a shotgun approach. How many of y'all know what I'm talking about? How many of y'all, I, I, I've had 20 goals before at New Year's. Not one of them got done. Or I f- fizzled out. I was like, Lord, I'm tired of that. That's not, that's not really even who I am. 
And, and so I said, Lord, give me like one or two things, and I'm going to hammer those things in 2019. And so one of the things that I'm hammering is Jesus is with me. I have a goal 100 times a day at least. Jesus is with me. Jesus is with me. Jesus is with me. And sure, sometimes I start thinking about other stuff while I'm saying that. It doesn't matter. But it takes 21 days to, to form a habit, and it's, the science says it's at least 63 days to start changing your thinking. And so you can't give up. You can't give up. You can't be like, well, it's, it's kind of losing its sizzle. It's kind of losing its, I'm not feeling it. So I guess that goal wasn't really right. And that's where, I mean, sometimes we take that approach with the Lord. It's like, I'm not really feeling it. So maybe it's not you, Lord. That's not, that's not the way to approach it because a lot of times if the word says it, you know, whenever Kelsey was saying she'd never heard the word of Jesus, nobody had ever sh shared the gospel, I had a line from Braveheart come in my mind where it says, that's something we should have to remedy. That shouldn't happen. That shouldn't happen. And so in verse 27, it says, Gideon took men of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was too afraid of his family, so at this point, God says, tear down your father's altar to Baal. And then this is Gideon's response. Gideon took 10 men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid of his family, and the men of the town, to do it by day, he did it by night. So Gideon tears down his father's idol to Baal. He did it at night because he was afraid. But <clears throat> I want you to notice something. Gideon disobeys God, or excuse me, obeys God despite his fear. But God does not rebuke Gideon for being afraid because Gideon obeyed. So God doesn't. He's not upset at all when you obey and you're, you're scared. <laughs> it's totally okay. He's, he's just like, that's, that's all right. You teach your child to, to do something new, even eating a new food. Like, it looks yucky. No, eat it, eat it. How do you know? You haven't even tasted it. You might love it. Josiah, am I preaching the truth? Or they're riding their bike because like, well, if I fall down, it's like, just, just try it. How, look at the fun that's on the other side if you, if you, get to, if you learn to ride your bike. <laughs> so God does not rebuke Gideon for being afraid because Gideon obeyed despite his fear. And I would venture to say that as you, as you walk with God, he's always going to be asking you to take down bigger giants. And so there's all... There might be always this element of discomfort or fear there. He, he doesn't mind that at all. He just wants you to, to look at him. Verse 13 in uh, chapter 7, we're going to skip ahead there and we'll come back to 6. It says, when Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. I guess uh, this is the Russian interpretation. I don't know. And he said, behold, I dreamed a dream and behold, a cake of barley. Bread tumbled into the camp of Midian and came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned it upside down so that the tent lay flat. And his comrade answered, this is total gift of dream interpretation because how did this guy get this answer? Uh, he said, this is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. So Gideon's outside the tent. And he just happens to be outside the tent where these guys had that dream and the guy gives that interpretation. And Gideon hears this, and this is where Gideon gets transformed into that valiant warrior. Because he heard the word of the Lord out of the enemy's mouth. And so he says that as soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshiped. He worshiped. And he returned to the camp of Israel and said, arise. So Gideon's walking in faith right now. 
He worships right outside of his enemy's tent. Now, first of all, sometimes God may give you a word for your life in the enemy's camp. But you may not, it's like, so Gideon, I want you to see the process of Gideon. He's, he's scared. He's, he's like, Lord, he, he doesn't think much of himself, but the Lord's like, I'm with you. And so he keeps taking these, these steps of obedience. The Lord says, you, he, he, he calls 40,000 soldiers. I'm estimating, not looking back at the, at the scripture, but it's around that. And the Lord says, this is too many men or else Israel will believe that they'll win this battle. He says, till any man who's afraid they can go back home, 22,000 leave. 22,000, that was two-thirds of the, the army, at least. And the Lord said, there's still too many men. Go down by the river, and the men who lap the water like a dog, those will be the men that you take to the camp with you, that, who will fight with you. Only 300 men did that. So now the odds, so 135,000 Midianites versus 300 men, every man in the natural would have to defeat 450 men. Then the Lord says, don't even take a sword. And he says, you'll have a trumpet and you'll have a clay pitcher and you'll have torches. And then you'll surround the enemy's camp like you're about to just go off on them. That's only the Lord. I mean, and so Gideon is taking these small steps. He's like, all right, I'm going to separate these men. I got 300 men. And then the last thing the Lord says, go get a word for me in the camp of the enemy. And so sometimes when you, when you go and you do what you're scared of, and maybe you, and you're like, I'm taking my light into this dark place, and it's a little scary, that's when God will give you a word that will forever transform you, and you'll see the way he sees, and you won't be scared of this dark place anymore. Because you're like, Jesus is here. And then you actually start taking ground because you start worshiping in the enemy's camp. And then you go back and you encourage your brothers and sisters and you're like, arise, let's go to war. So he goes back and he says, arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. So, so Gideon is just not like, he's, he's not even saying, let's go fight. He's like, it's won. It's over. And that's what Jesus said when he, his last breath, he said, it's finished. Verse 30 in chapter 6 says, the men of the town said to Joash, bring out your son that he may die. Now, so the, the altar to Baal has been torn down, and they know it was, it was Gideon. And so the community is mad. Excuse me. Steve Fish burped in the microphone one time. I almost did that. Bring out your son that he may die, for he has broken down the altar of Baal and cut down the Asher beside it. Think about this. This is a, this is a foreshadowing of Christ. All Scripture points back to Jesus. They're saying these uh, evil men are saying, bring out your son that he may die. So this is the threat of death. When you obey the Lord... In the very least, it will bring death to your flesh. When you obey the Lord, your flesh will die. Think about Jesus. Think about the cross. He brought to death his flesh, which in the mystery of God, our sin was contained in. Jesus brought about the death of his flesh in obedience to God, in obedience to the Father. What was the reward? Resurrection life. Jesus started walking through walls. Jesus started popping up places without having to travel. But he was already walking in that. He was already walking on water. And so the same is true for us. We get to walk in heaven on earth just like Jesus did. But there's going to come a time when we do breathe our last, where we'll, it'll, be, it'll be finished. It'll be final. Like I said the other week, I was like, I'm, I'm looking forward to breathing underwater in heaven. And so 
Your flesh will die in obedience to God because God is spirit. He's not flesh. So when you obey the spirit, the flesh must die. But it gives life, but it feeds the spirit. So your spirit man grows when you obey the Holy Spirit. For the mind set on flesh is death. This is Romans 8. You don't have to turn there. But, the, but to set the mind on the, on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile towards God, for it does not submit to God's law. Listen to this. Indeed, it cannot. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Because God is spirit, right? Judges 6.34 says, but the, but the spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon, and he sounded the trumpet. And the Abizrites, I know I'm slaughtering that, were called out to follow him. So God is anointing people who will sound the trumpet, those who will summon the body of Christ to co-labor with God in war. We're in a war. We're in a war. And so who's, who wins in this, this spirit war? Those who have the peace of God. Romans 16, 20, I believe. I could be wrong, but it says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. So what crushes Satan? The peace of God. And that only comes through the Holy Spirit. And so Judges 7, 2 through 4, I already talked about this, where Gideon's separating the men out, and he's left with 300. And the point is that no matter how strong your willpower is, it's not going to be enough. And so I even know people were like, uh, so God was telling Gideon, this is, I don't want anybody getting, thinking that their flesh did this, their own strength did this. I know people who have... Uh, overcome dr bad drug addiction without knowing the Lord. Most people I know that have overcome it did come to know the Lord. But there's a few, there's a, there's a handful of pe people that have overcome addiction and they're not believers. And I'm like, Lord, how do they do that? And the Lord, and the Lord's like, they, you know, there's a, is enough willpower there. And I'm like, Lord, I don't like that. I don't like that somebody can overcome something like that without you. And the Lord said, everybody's a slave to death, though. <laughs> I don't care how free you think you are, how autonomous you think you are. Everyone's a slave to death. Death will come for you. <laughs> but not for the Christian. It's just the door. And so, no matter how strong your willpower is, everyone is a slave to death. But death will master you unless you're in Christ. So sometimes we, you know, we, we, we all tend to do this where we go from extremes. So back, you know, when in our great-grandparents were living, it was all about heaven. Oh, when we get to heaven. You know, there's all the gospel hymns were about get, going to heaven because life was hard. Life was hard. <laughs> like, well, we got heaven. You know, so they, they sing about that. And then we're like, no, heaven's now, heaven. And so we don't hardly sing about going to heaven anymore. But the Holy Spirit's about, it's about you get to go to heaven and it's heaven now. And so, the Lord, I, I just, we lose sight of that sometimes. It's like, you know what? We, there is, we have life after death. And it's not just life after death. It's eternal life. It's eternal life. All right. 16 and 20 in verse, in chapter 7. Oh, read that. I went over that. We're not going to do that again. Well, I'm going to read one line from it. So he's got his 300 men in the three companies, and they put trumpets into the hands of all the men 
and empty jars with torches inside the jars. I want you to think about this. All right, you got a, you got a clay pitcher. It's got, a, it's got a torch inside of it, and you got a trumpet in one hand, and you're surrounding this valley where 135,000 fighting men are camped, and you got 300. And think about that. At this point, you have to have come to grips that you may die and be okay with that. <laughs> and I think that's, you know, it's, uh, it's like uh, Andrew Murray said, you can't, you can't humiliate a humble man. Or it's like you can't kill a dead man, right? And so he divided them into 300 men. They had these jar pitchers with the torches and a trumpet in one hand that says, then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the jars. Now, this is a, an amazing picture for us. They held in their left hands the torches and in their right hands the trumpets to blow, and they cried out, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. So there's four keys to Gideon's uh, battle. If you, do, if you hold your arm elbow up like this, it usually works. There we go. And we're, we're going to sing. We're going to go into a <laughs> worship song. All right, so four keys to Gideon's battle. Number one, he blew the trumpet. So it, blowing the trumpet was always a symbol of, hey, it's time to fight. It's a call to war. It's a gathering of the, of the community. Let's get together. But it was usually, most of the time, wars, war is coming. Secondly, they broke the pitchers. Now, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4 that we're all like jars of clay. He says, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. Get that. We don't proclaim ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. With ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts the, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Why, are, why does God choose to put his light in jars of clay but to show his surpassing power that he may get the glory? When you do things in the power of the spirit, God gets the glory. When you do things in your flesh, you get the glory. It's just the way it works. And so when they blew the, tr the 300 trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army. And the army fled as far as Beth Shittah, I'm gonna, that's how I'm going to pronounce that, towards Zaria, as far as the border of Abel, Mahola, by Tabith. So they blow the trumpet, they break the pitchers, they hold the torches, they shine the light, and they give glory to God. Real simple. Say there's a war, you're weak, God is strong, the light of Christ is in you, give glory to God. I remember in Brazil, as in a worship service, and uh, the worship, ironically in Brazil, they, they look, they're worshipers in Brazil, but in this particular service we're a part of, the worship was dead, just to be honest with you. And I'm like, Lord, what is going on? This is weird, because that had not been our experience the previous days. And they had a, a girl come up for the special music. She sang like a solo. And I, you know, I was kind of like, uh, all right. And she gets up there. Now, the previous year, this girl had been healed of terminal brain cancer. And she gets up there and she starts worshiping like she's at the feet of Jesus. And it's a solo. Now, in a lot of our minds, we might think, that's traditional. It's not going to work. It's not going to move the spirit. Well, if your heart's, if you're broken, it moves the spirit. And she was broken. She, she was broken. And, and, and so she starts singing and everybody, it's like somebody just whoosh, waked everybody, slapped everybody and everybody woke up. And everybody's just like, yes. I mean, just 180. And I'm like, what is going on? Like, and I'm just sitting there talking to the Lord, taking it all in. And he says, all it takes is one broken vessel. All it takes is one broken vessel to change the atmosphere. Because she brought heaven with her. She said, I don't care what's going on. I'm going to worship at the feet of Jesus. 
She gave glory to the Lord. She bro- her picture was broken, and the, and the glory of God was shining through her. So when they blew the trumpets, it brought confusion into the enemy's camp, and the enemy actually slayed each other. This is what you call the vengeance of the Lord. When the enemy's sword that he raised against you, against you actually penetrates his own heart. It's called a divine backfire. Say backfire. So 120,000 men were slain out of the 135,000. The remaining 15,000 fled. They were getting out of town. What did Gideon and his army do? That, I mean, how many of us would be like, we survived. We're alive. 120,000 were killed. We won. Woo. But what did Gideon and those guys do? Look in chapter 8, verse 4. It says, Gideon came to the Jordan, they crossed over, and the 300 men who were with him, exhausted yet pursuing. How many of us, when we get tired, we're like, I want to challenge us to start trying to uh, relax in the Lord. (laughs) What I mean by that is, I do this too. And been in been guilty of it where I'm like, I'm tired. And then what we, what we do is we disengage totally. So like maybe we veg on Netflix or maybe we go do something that we really want to do. And I'm not saying any of those things in and of themselves are wrong. What I'm saying is if we think about it, when we're like, I got to rest, I got to relax. And then we like put God over here. That's a problem. So we got to like relax in God. We got to rest in the Lord. And it's like, Lord, bring God with you to watch a movie. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> bring God with you to watch a football game. Just don't get him over here. And so they're exhausted yet pursuing. And that's, and so what I felt, I, I read that and I felt like the Lord said, I'm looking for fourth quarter Christians. I was like, okay. And so I started thinking about it. Most of us watch Georgia football or you've watched sports, and they come out in the first quarter, and they're just, you know, they're head bobbing, they're slapping, they're doing the arm thingies. And so you're, and they're just like, they're getting the guys around, and they're, they're doing their, their haka dance and everything like that. They come out, and you start, you start playing, and the other team just gut punches you. And you're like, okay, where's the hockey dancing then? Where's the, where's the, and you're just like, okay, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are you going to do when you, you get hyped and, you're on, and you feel that fire and you're just like, you're full of faith and then that, maybe the enemy gut punches you? What are you going to do? And so what happens in the fourth quarter is it comes down to choice. I remember my coach, he said, who wants it more? And you're just like, I'm, I'm tired. I'm tired. He's like, who wants it more? And you look to your head, you look to Christ, and you look at him, him and it says, and Hebrews talks about it, it says, don't give up, don't. Persevere, endure, and look to the one who shed his blood. Look to the one who shed his blood. And so when God's saying he's looking for fourth quarter Christians, he, he, doesn't, want, he doesn't want us giving up because we don't feel the sizzle. He doesn't want us giving up because we don't feel the emotion, because the feelings aren't there. That's not called commitment. You don't do that with your wife or your husband because the feeling's not there. You don't do that with your kids because the feeling's not there. Why don't, why do we do that with the Lord? And God is, is called us to be faithful. We're not going to be perfect in doing it, just like with our spouses or with our kids. 
That's not what God's asking for. He's not asking for perfection. He's asking you to have courage. He's asking you not to give up. He's asking me not to give up. And so, and that comes when the emotion's not there, when the feeling's not there. And God promises the reward when you do persevere. He's already promised the victory, and that's where we get to work from. We're, we're in the fourth quarter. You know, we've heard, you may have heard it said, I've heard many preachers say this, but if you, if you don't give up, you win. If you don't give up, you win. Because Jesus is, it's, it's not like we're wondering what the outcome is. Because Jesus is one. And he's going to do all that he pleases. And the question is, are we, are we just going to be on the playing field? I don't want to watch. I know for me, I don't want to watch. I don't want to watch. Anybody that played sports wants to play. Now I want to be involved. I want to say, like, God, use me. Use me. And I need help, God. I need help. Because there's times where I do, get, I do get weak and I take my eyes off of you and I disengage with you. And, I, and I'm going by my feelings and I'm going by my emotions and I'm giving in to discouragement and I'm giving in to disappointment. And the Lord's just saying, that's not what it's about. It's about my word, what I've said. What have I said over you? What have I said about myself? Do you believe that? That's what he's asking us. And he just, all he's asking is don't believe yourself. Believe me. Believe me. And that's what's going to give us the perseverance. That's what's going to give us the ability to endure. It talks about it all the time in the New Testament, having the perseverance. And it comes to the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is our strength. There's not a great day to start choosing the joy of the Lord. The time to choose the joy of the Lord is now. The time to stop, I, I want the enemy to stop beating us up. We don't have to take it. And I'm telling you, you come back at the enemy, he may gut punch you one or two times. But you tell him what Jesus has done. It's not about you. You say, your work is finished. You've already been judged. You've been cast down from heaven. And you remind him of your future, and you remind him of his future. God says he's got great plans for me, plans for a hope and a future. God's got great plans. There was a time about six years ago, I had a hard time believing for whatever reason that God wanted to prosper me, and not even a... Uh, I was just kind of stuck in this survival mentality, I'll put it that way. And I just started, I started declaring, God's got plans to prosper me. And it had, it's changing the way, I, what I believed about God's heart towards me. And I, and I would say it normal, and I would say it with stank face, and I would say it with sass, and I would say I would yell it, and I'd say, God's got plans to prosper me. And I would say it just like that in my kitchen. I remember, God's got plans to prosper me. Because I had to get it in here. And I had to get it in here. It says the word of God is like a hammer. And it breaks the rock. It's Jeremiah. So you got that rock it's, a, it's like a dam in your heart that's keeping the blessings of God and, and, and God's heart, your identity, his identity, from you truly knowing him. And there's, a, there's this rock there, maybe this particular area, and his word is just, and it's just hammering that thing, and it's breaking that rock so the, the river of God can flow into your heart. You unravel me. With a melody. Let's stand up. Maybe you got anything?
the worship team will come on down. I, d- I would encourage you, if you've set some goals for 2019, that the most important thing about those goals is what you believe. It's not about necessarily what you're doing. Now, you may have to do some things to believe better, <laughs> but ultimately, the fruit flows out of your beliefs. And for me, I'm taking a laser approach. I've done the shotgun, which you might have the capacity to do a shotgun. I'm just saying, for me, laser. I need a laser. It's like I I told Jessica the other day, I said, I can, if you give me one task, I can do that task for like eight hours straight. But if you give me 10 tasks, none of them will get done in eight hours. But I can, that one thing, I can hammer it out because I'm one-track minded. And I, all the men said, nah, nah. <laughs> All right, we're going to worship. And I just want to invite you just to get with the Lord and say, Lord, I don't have anything in and of myself. I need the perseverance of Christ. I need the endurance of Christ. And Lord, I, let your word burn in me. Let your word burn in me. And just, tell, and just tell the Lord, say, Lord, I'm going to choose to believe your word over anything else in my life. So let's worship to one more song. Our worship team, our uh, ministry team, if you'll come down to the side. No, God still, he heals and he delivers. Still today, he hasn't changed. So if you need physical healing, if you're being tormented by a demon, you got a mental stronghold, you got a mental block, you just can't think outside of this, this train of thought. Get somebody to pray for you. Get somebody to pray for you. Humble yourself and ask for help. If there's anybody here that doesn't know Jesus, today is the day to know Jesus. We'd love to introduce you to him. He, he loves you. You were created for him, by him. You were made for Jesus. And he wants to come into your life. You surrender your life to Jesus and he will give you his life, which is eternal and abundant. Let's worship.